0: I'm Sales Team Turnaround Specialist, Jeremy Demerchant, and each week I bring sales leaders like you experts and insights that will help you level up your leadership, motivate like a master, and ultimately crush your comp plan. If it's time to raise the bar on your team's performance, then it's time for Sales Team Rescue. And we are live. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Sales Team Rescue, episode number 104. Today, I have got another special guest for you amazing sales leaders, guys. Dan Englander is the CEO and founder of Sales Schema, a fractional new business team for marketing agencies and B2B service companies. He's also the host of the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. Previously, Dan was the first employee and head of new business at Idea Rocket. And before that, account coordinator at DX Agency. He's the author of Mastering Account Management and the B2B sales blueprint. And in his spare time, he enjoys developing new aches and pains via Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Dan, welcome to Sales Team Rescue.
1: Jeremy, thanks so much for the, the lovely intro and thanks <laughs> for having me. <laughs> My pleasure. No, I,
0: I'm excited because um, I feel like this is going to be actually a more casual conversation than normal because I'm so intrigued by what you do. So for me, I'm I consider myself a sales conversations guy but i need people on the call in front of me either you know on zoom or on the phone call or face to face to make my magic happen but you and your company do the part that i need before that you guys are the ones that make that happen by helping people with the top of the funnel with getting those appointments um, tell first of all tell us about how you got here and then we'll dig yeah, into the, totally. the
1: the the magic yeah, for sure. So my background originally, I uh, was in the agency space, I kind of moved to New York out of college and had some BS internships and landed a job in an agency somehow, mm-hmm. uh, through like a friend of a friend of connection and worked on the account side. So kind of learned that industry a little bit and then led new business for a number of years. And I was kind of in this is for a small creative shop, we did video. So I was selling video services to big companies and tried every tactic under the sun to get meetings and i was also like shuffling back and forth between clients mm. um and never had enough time and i like you know d- took a long time to actually get trained in sales and take ownership over it and you know we, we tried everything um we tried uh investing tons of money in adwords we tried inbound outbound everything in between and i remember um outbound you know being being pretty promising for us at one point and then anyway i kind of took the the Tim Ferriss pill, as I say, for a while, and traveled Asia with my girlfriend at the time. Um, Didn't know what I wanted to do. Ended up self-publishing a book about account management and about sales eventually, and got some consulting clients. And then kept kept finding that the people that wanted to hire me were in the marketing agency space because I knew that industry pretty well. But then I kept on on finding that regardless of industry, You know, really what a lot of service businesses, especially need help with is like getting, you know, getting that top of funnel figured out, getting people to agree to talk to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, We hear a lot of, you know, get us in the room and we'll close them. That's rarely the case but the perceived need is leads, like get us, get us in the room. Yeah. So that's where we moved the business. And, that, and you know, basically I realized that I wanted to make a business that could scale without me to be frank. Mm-hmm. And lead generation was like the closest thing to what I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was you know, around 2015 or so, 2014. And, and then since then, uh, we've seen what it takes to get people to agree to speak and to get over that wall change a lot. You know, the wall's gotten higher and we've had to get craftier, which has been really great for our business. It, it creates, you know, kind of a moat around what we do. Uh, but that's kind of how I got from, from A to B. And I'm happy to get further into how we're doing it and everything.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, no, I, I think it's phenomenal because you're right. A lot of people say, just get them in the room and we can close them. And I mean, I kind of just said that too. Like, you know, and and, and you're right. Um, when, when you have um, a lot of people, people in sales think they're better than they really are. That's just a general rule. Uh, but there a lot of people are also very aware that when their strength is those, the closing conversations and building those relationships, that outbound business development side is rarely a strength that comes from the same skill set. And so this is why I think this is so interesting.
1: Yeah, totally. And our so our biased value prop is, is that it's better, is that it takes a village, basically. It's the classic model, the classic sales team. I think, you know, it's not wrong. It just doesn't go far enough where you'd have this junior level person, a BDR, SDR role, etc. And the problem with that is it's really, like you said, it's really, really hard to find All the skill sets you need to tee up meetings consistently in one person and one given individual, especially if they're like a junior level, early career person, right? Because if you think about what a BDR is, they are somebody that has to deal with systems. They've got to deal with lists and technical things like deliverability and how these apps talk together and the CRM and all this other stuff. Mm. There's creativity, you know, like you'd find with somebody on Madison Avenue, you know, a copywriter, somebody that can write something that's compelling and get somebody to agree to speak. And to add to that even more, the B2B sales world is a completely different tone than you would take with with marketing. And it's really like kind of specialized and different. It's hard to find that skill set. And then there's the hustle skill set, somebody that can pick up a phone and call and do what's needed to lock down the appointment. So finding all three of those in one person is really tough. But yet we've been kind of sold this bill of goods by like, you know, big, well-funded tech companies or whoever. And the fact is, they had also they have all sorts of marketing firepower. They have all sorts of technical people supporting all those salespeople at all times. So if you're in a new company, a smaller company, um, even if you've even if you're in a big company, but you, you've survived on referrals for years, um, you don't necessarily have that firepower. So that's where it takes you know the right division of duties, and that's a lot of what we do is like providing that that team, that support team, to tee up meetings uh, in a fractional way, basically. Beautiful. No, I think it's so,
0: so valuable. So you talk about working with marketing agencies and B2B service agencies. What's the the size of company that you like to work with? Like what's what's the dream client? And then kind of what are the the outskirts of the range that you like to deal with?
1: Yeah, I'd say that our sweet spots kind of within that like five to roughly hundred employee range. So that <laughs> that sort of boutique level. And I think what we tend to see at that stage is that people are on a growth trajectory. Um they don't necessarily have enough hours in the day. I think about half the time we're working with an executive that's probably dealing with a million other things. Mm-hmm. The other half, we do have a dedicated salesperson, you know, perhaps like like yourself, but our our whole philosophy is that person you know, of course needs to be spending ninety nine percent of their time building relationships, talking to people, maybe putting together high level proposals, et cetera. Not top of funnel. Uh, so that's that's kind of where where we come in. yeah, beautiful.
0: So how does a company know that they're ready for you or that they should be looking? At your services?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I think the biggest indicator we see is when they feel like they've hit a growth ceiling where they're like, I can't rely on these referrals that got me to the dance and this stuff anymore. From there, you know, once they're in the next degree of trying to fix that problem, um, it tends to look like people hand wringing and kind of jumping around between different channels, right? Whether that's inbound or outbound. And, we, and we're not one of these silver bullet companies that's like, outbound's the best. It's the only thing that works. It's not. Um, But I think that if you have a high-end complex service, the fact is that your your offering is not for mass consumption. There's a pretty limited number of people that can ever enjoy that offering. Mm -hmm. And also, you have a lot of specialization in that field. And the fact is there isn't as high of a barrier to getting that relationship with your prospect today instead of tomorrow. So that's that's why I think outbound has a lot going for it. If you are in, if you're selling to small, medium-sized businesses, you're selling to the thousands and thousands of roofers or plumbers that are out there. You know, outbound may or may not be your best bet because you might need to get to something that's going to create massive scale and massive lead flow. But if you're like our our clients, selling 50, 100 k, million dollar deals, um, it's more about it's about quality but quantity too, right? So it might be two, five appointments a week. And that's like, that can be enough to really scale a business like that. So our whole philosophy is like, why not shortcut things? Why not build the relationship today with that prospect instead of waiting? And that's where we're outbound, I think is really good. So I might've completely lost your question, but let let me know. No, no, that was great. Um,
0: And so this is interesting though, because a lot of people now, more on the smaller business side, when they're still trying to sort things out, um, trying to get clear in their message, one of the first things when you're a newer business owner is you, you don't want to niche down because you've got this FOMO, right? Your fear of missing out on all these other people that could buy if you had a product that was good for everybody. But yeah. you, and, you and I both know that the more specific you can be with who you're targeting, the more bang on your message is going to be with all the marketing, all the follow-up, all these pieces. And it sounds like your service essentially helps eliminate that FOMO and says, look, go as niche as you need to go and hire us to help find those ideal people to get in front of you.
1: Totally, and and you know, usually we're working with clients when they have some semblance of like product market fit, right? So yeah. they know th- th- they're at least reasonably specialized and so on. Because otherwise, like you need to figure that out before right. you can get return from what we're doing. But in, but anyway, yeah, I will say that regarding the specialization thing, I think about it a little bit differently than necessarily just niching. I used to I used to be into niching. Now I think specialization is kind of a better way to think about it, where you might have like a really specific service, like you do whatever conversion rate optimization for facebook funnels or something right. um and you do it for a lot of different people or you might specialize by audience where you really specialize in selling to you know a given cohort of of individual but you might be doing a lot of different services to get to that mm-hmm. that person or or you might yeah yeah have a niche we focus on these one to three verticals high compliance areas for example we have a client right now that does higher education, healthcare, legal stuff that has like high compliance. So there's different ways to think about it. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I, this the, the the specialization part's really important. I, I remember like when I was starting trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my business. And I, I didn't, I, I wasn't in the idea of niching. I didn't think I had to do that. And, and I didn't think about like, you know how important it really was I was at a conference in, in Bangkok actually randomly and Noah Kagan spoke in a relatively small group and he's the head of uh, appsumo you know very successful dude and he made the point that he's the really drilled at home where he was like okay every successful business is started with he said a niche but I think it could also mean specialization mm-hmm. you know Facebook started with colleges Amazon started with books IBM started with calculators like what makes you think that you're going to be the exception to that? So that's where it kind of stuck for me. Um, yeah. And that's that's usually, I think for any anything that's targeted beyond just like an organic referral that comes to you has to have that or else it's just like not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Uh, so let's dive in. I don't want you to give away all your trade secrets, but... I'll give it all away. I don't <laughs> care.
1: But let, let, you, let, people can do it better themselves than... That's 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 great. Yeah. I love I love that so, perspective.
0: So let, yeah. let's let's dive into a little bit about how the sausage is made. Like, how does your rockstar team go and do this amazing job in generating leads and, and appointments for these marketing agencies and B two B service companies?
1: Totally. Um, so to, to give kind of like the Star Wars nameplate, you know, <laughs> scroll uh, the, some background context. So I, I'd say around like 2015 when we started it, and then the next let's say three to four years. We kept doing a version of what everyone's doing, whether you're hiring a legion company or you're getting a BDR, doing outbound to get appointments. Um, we were doing a variation on the same thing, which tends to look like spitting out a list of decision makers. Hey, we want to reach these three titles in this sort of industry within this size company. And let's put those people into a funnel that might include different channels like LinkedIn and uh, you know email and phone or something, and try to get them to agree to speak by pitching them on something. What happened in that intervening period is it got harder and harder, as we all know, because there's way more competition for attention writ large, and also there's more competition for any digital service. If you could start your business from a laptop and an internet connection, you are going to get pushed into this commodity space. And that doesn't mean that you're a commodity, and that doesn't mean that it's a bad business. It just means it changes how you have to sell and market it. Um, there's a great book called Breakthrough Advertising by Eugene Schwartz. It was written in, like the 60s. I think it's still true today. He talks about the stages of market skepticism. I know I'm, I'm, I'm going to get to the how the sausage is made, but I think this is important. Yeah, so maybe. the first stage is like brand new, like, hey, we're Facebook and you've never heard of this before. Second stage is you know, increasing levels of skepticism. Hey, there might be another provider uh, like Facebook compared to Twitter or something in the early days. Uh, and then onwards from there, third stage is more about process where you're talking about here at Beer, we actually, you know, go through this process to make this amazing product. Fourth stage is like super competitive. When you think about like Uber versus Lyft. It's sort of about fighting for for brand market share. And then the fifth stage is the most skeptical stage where it becomes more about identifying personally with the buyer than it does talking about features and benefits and needs. So that's where you have Simon Sinek, and that's where you have all these other things. And that's essentially what's happened to the B2B service and agency world. If you have a brand new tech product nobody's ever heard of, and you're using AI to read people's minds, Mm -hmm. then okay, the older rules apply and you can pitch. Mm -hmm. But if you're an agency, if you're a consultancy, people kind of know what you do. They might not know everything you do, but they understand the problem you solve. So if you pitch somebody, and you, say, you have an email that says, hey, we're really awesome and we have these great case studies and can we pitch you? Unless they have a need right then, unless they're solution aware, mm-hmm. they aren't gonna talk to you. And even if they are, still, there still might not be enough trust. Mm-hmm. So anyway, to finally answer your question, we did things the old way until it got bad enough that we were like, we have to rethink things. So we had a client that were all, they had the best bona fides in the world. They'd worked with all these tech companies. They had every major tech company in their little scroll banner. And we weren't getting the meetings and then we said what if we were to do a campaign that identified people that used to work for an account that they have a lot of experience with acme you know whatever it was and they've since moved on to other places where our client can do business and then we send a two-line email that says hey saw you used to work with acme we did a lot of great work for them in the past saw you're now at abc co um would love to hear what you're up against can we talk and we got tons of meetings they went on to close Seven figures worth of business. They went on to get acquired, um, huge win, et cetera, et cetera. So from then, we've started shifting all of our campaigns towards that. We started developing a lot of proprietary processes on the back end to build out lots of granular data. Um, so if you, Jeremy, you know, let's say you wanted to reach the biggest Fortune 500 companies on earth, let's say Fortune 500 tech companies, we would would be able to figure out. Okay, first, we're going to find all those companies you want to reach out to. Second, we're gonna have you export a list of your LinkedIn connections. Tell us everybody that you would feel comfortable asking for an intro from. Maybe that's 10 people, maybe it's 100 people. You, you pre-qualify anybody that you would feel comfortable asking. From there, we're gonna send all those people, from there we're gonna cross-reference all of their connections to senior people in those pre-approved accounts. Send them all a very tasteful email that says, hey, I saw you're connected to these one, two, or three people. Would you feel comfortable with an intro? And then from there, what we're seeing is around half or more will say, yes, I'll make an intro or, hey, let's talk. I can tell you exactly what to say to this person to get in. Or some people might say, sorry, I can't help, but it's still polite, nice interaction. So that's how we're thinking of campaigns. A lot of it is channeling these very old school, honestly, kind of like tribal connections that are really, frankly, timeless. You know, the the ways we build trust, because like information, case studies, all this stuff alone is not enough anymore to build trust. It's really more about your connection and your friends of friends and your relationships. So that's the only difference is we're not doing anything new. We're just doing the the thing that's new is the scale, is the technology that lets us send that email and make something happen in a few weeks instead of a few years, basically.
0: Wow. So that's, yeah, there's definitely a lot more moving pieces than the the traditional lead gen agency would do. Uh, But this, I think, is exactly where you talk about relationship sales at scale and this is you know the a line that i think um you know once people understand it is ultimately what makes you stand out you're you're leveraging um, the idea of referrals you're leveraging these existing relationships instead of being that cold knock on the door hey i'm every other person in your junk mail box to hey i'm here because you know this person and i know this person and let's make those connections so it's like you you well I mean, exactly what it says. You found out how to do relationship sales at scale. And I think it's phenomenal. Um, so is there a scenario, and let's, let's say that somebody's really small. Let's just say that they're like solopreneur watching this right now. And they're like, man, that sounds really cool. Um, will it work for me? Is there a size or like is, is there any kind of uh, obstacle that somebody might that we might want to identify early on and say, ah, you might not be right for this particular approach, whether it's number of connections or, or like, is there anything you've run into?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think the main thing that makes this approach work is having a big enough pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You know, so if you're going to have to get intros to people and you're going to, you know, break into these big accounts, um, there needs to be a big enough deal size to justify your time. So I think that's the biggest thing. A lot of the times with solo, Service businesses, they might be charging like whatever, a thousand, two thousand a month. And they're working with whoever will take them. So, you know, what's important is to first like make that strategic decision. And it doesn't mean you can't go the other way eventually um, in terms of what you want to do. And I think that if you are Selling to smaller, or medium-sized businesses, this approach probably isn't isn't the right approach. You might want to think about like inbound and Facebook funnels or whatever it might be mm-hmm. to get those people in the door. But if you are going to use this approach of going after a bigger ticket deal size, then mm-hmm. then it's kind of like a go big or go home thing. Like you might as well go after it doesn't have to be a Fortune 500. I use that as an example, but a well-established company, let's say that can afford to invest, you know, mid at least mid five figures in you over the course of a year. Mm-hmm. And now you're in a situation where it really is worth your time to do this. So that's that's the first thing I think is is bigger ticket. And then the second thing is just frankly your your time and motivation and having the right expectations around around outbound, right? Because the goal with this is to simply build the relationship and then nurture people over time to the place where they're, they're ready to invest in you. Most people, and, and there's the classic stat, 3% of the market's ready to buy right now. And whether it's three or five or whatever, not important, but you know, most of the market's not going to be ready to invest in you right away. So you've got to be ready to invest that time building in the relationship, scheduling a block of time, maybe an hour a week to following up with people that you connected with 30, 60, 90 days ago, um, saying, hey, just curious, how are things going? Uh, what does this send you this cool new stuff we're doing? Um, wanted to run this new idea past you, et cetera, et cetera, to get them back back into the door again, basically. So those, those are a few things that come to mind.
0: Gotcha. So back back to the, the price point, for example. Um, so are you saying around 50K is kind of the minimum where it starts to make sense as far as the- I, I think that that's
1: bigger than just this particular strategy. I think mm-hmm. that that's and this isn't me making this up. I've heard you know a lot of coaches and, and consultants in my yeah. life talk about this too, and other business owners. Mm-hmm. That that's the sort of price point that justifies, you know, what you need to be investing in marketing and your sales and probably your fulfillment for like a complex service business. Let's mm-hmm. say, um, tech world is probably different. There's probably exceptions to that, but that's that's uh, what what we've seen. know,
0: I think I think that's a really good um, kind of measuring point because I feel like that's also the range where big companies start to take you seriously. Like, right. You know, if you're if you're coming into play and you're 20, 30 grand cheaper than anyone else they've spoken to. They're like, ah, I'm not going to the dollar store for this. Right.
1: Yeah. Especially when people are purporting to solve very big, lucrative problem problems because people just won't trust it. If you're like, Hey, I'm going to bring in. I'm going to 10X your, you know, your customer input or whatever, your, your return on ad spend, let's say, mm-hmm. and you're, you're charging like a thousand a month for it. People are going to be like, something's, something's wrong here. Yeah. They don't want to do it because they don't want to waste so much time and resources, even though the price point's low. So right. that's the, yeah, that's a good point.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So you've got something that we can give to the audience to get a taste of what you do
1: yeah t- for sure us, so we have this um, an on-demand video training it's about 40 minutes long or so uh and it basically goes over real case studies it goes over copy examples it's it's m- most of not all of our tricks <laughs> for doing this stuff uh, and that people can find that at sales schema.com slash relationships plural awesome. again it's saleschema.com slash relationships awesome i'm gonna see if i
0: can put that into the chat is that gonna work let's see Awesome. All right. If not, we will make sure that it gets, gets yeah. there for the, for the show notes for sure. Um, so Dan, I want to hit you with what I like to call the lightning round. <laughs> okay. <I'm> um, terrified. <laughs> as you should be. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, so as you know, coffee's for closers. What is your favorite coffee or comparable drink?
1: Oh, uh, that's, that's good. I mean, uh, I' would coffee's up there I finally like splurged a nice uh, a nice coffee maker like one of these Italian like gaggia things and mm. it, it has like improved my quality of life and I think I save like way more than, than I would have by not going to coffee shops. so nice. coffee's up there and uh yeah I mean in terms of like drink of choice in the summer it's been like a negroni you know maybe mm-hmm. a cocktail nice. uh winter gets towards Rye whiskey,
0: (laughs) yes, that boy. Is it it Canadian rye? Canadian whiskey?
1: Uh, sometimes. You guys like (laughs) it a little sweet up here. I'm actually. I think we were talking before we got started. I'm in Toronto now for a wedding. Um, But I've had Canadian ryes that I like, Mm -hmm. but I think I I usually want to go go American. Yeah, unfortunately. All (laughs) right, I won't hold it against you. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, good. Um, So, next question is: If you had to recommend one book or movie in regards to sales or prospecting, um, what would that be?
1: Oh, man. I mean, you, you've already stolen the one that everybody says, which is Glengarry Glen Ross with, with the Copies for Closures line. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of other good sales movies. Um, in terms of books, I think that my the one that I end up recommending more often than not is The Challenger Sale, just mm-hmm. because I think that it's kind of a good sales book for, for like, Hey, here's like a 30 degree turn you should make for the digital age. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not because I think a lot of the times like sales is everybody, there's an incentive for every sales trainer to pretend they have a silver bullet and pretend they're doing something new as opposed to training sales as if it was like, here's how to work on a classic car. You know, here's how to like, here's the right way to do brain surgery. You know, like this, I guess brain surgery is probably advanced. So that's probably not a good <laughs> example, but, I think challenger sales saying like, look, you know, teach Taylor, take control. Um, it's a little bit less about like a million questions and more about like changing the way people think. Mm-hmm. There's more information parity or, or symmetry between buyers and sellers. So that that's one I often recommend. Awesome. Okay. Who is someone that you would consider to be a mentor in your life? Oh, uh, I mean, for for sales, uh, Mike Gansel, a uh, great, great sales trainer, you know, a uh, classic like hard ass New Yorker <laughs> he, he trained me originally and then we've started working together after years again so I got got plug him um, other than that yeah I've, I've had I've, I've been good lately about collecting mentors so I'm in a mastermind group with friends um, uh, Taylor Pearson's really great business coach give him a plug um, and, and some others so I think it's I think it's good to have you know to have that that tribe it helps out a lot awesome absolutely
0: um, now my final question of the lightning round. What is the strangest thing you do in your daily routine to keep you on your game?
1: Yeah, that's, I am thinking about it. Um, I, I don't, I wish I had something strange and I swear to God, I would hopefully <laughs> unveil it. I would have the balls to <laughs> to, to talk about it if, if I had it. But I, I think instead of strange, like what's really improved my quality of life is honestly like stretching in the morning, like just doing like, mm-hmm. and doing some like minor calisthenics. Like the whole thing takes probably five minutes, but I'll do, whatever, upward dogs, downward dogs, push-ups, and it, everything's better after that. I think nice. if anybody is not doing that, recommend it a lot. <laughs> awesome. Yeah.
0: I mean, uh, you might consider that strange since most people probably don't do that. Um, yeah. but I would say that is a huge, huge suggestion. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's worked for me. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Stretching is, is so important. Well, guys. This has been a phenomenal episode, Dan. It's been a pleasure to get to meet you before I let you go. I wanted two things. One, I want to give one more plug for your training. That was saleschema.com and that's sales, S-A-L-E-S, schema, S-C-H-E-M-A.com slash relationships with an S. Um, Correct. Yeah. And the other thing I want to mention, guys, if you want to get more of Dan and we'll we'll give you a chance Dan, to tell people where to find you as well, but I also want to give a shout out to his podcast. Um, tell us a little bit about that podcast.
1: Yeah, so we, we've been going strong for, I guess, some three years now, something like that. And it's called the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. Um, we do focus on B2B service companies as well and others kind of in the, the marketing sphere. Excuse me. Um, and we interview we interview entrepreneurs, business owners, we interview brand side decision makers. Like we've interviewed uh, Jin Say this month, who's the CMO of Levi's, which was really interesting. Uh, and we also interview. To people working in technology, CRM, sales automation, and all these sort of things. So really run the gamut there. Um, and that's again, the, the digital agency growth podcast on our site is just saleschema.com slash podcast.
0: Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, and finally, where else can people find more of your brilliance?
1: Uh, I think that's, that's probably a lot. So saleschema.com. And then um, my email is just Dan at saleschema.com. If anybody wants to connect. Awesome. Well, Dan, thank you so much for for being on this
0: episode. It's been a pleasure. Um, Stick around after. We'll chat a little bit more once we go off the air. Uh, And for you, the viewers, the listeners, thanks so much for enjoying this episode of Sales Team Rescue. I'll remind you, if you want to catch this replay, another episode replays, go to salesteamrescue.com. And if you are ready to book your sales team readiness assessment call with yours truly, you can find that link also at salesteamrescue.com. Guys, remember, you can find us here. Well, me here. Dan will be here again, I'm sure. Um, but you'll find me here next Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern. And remember, get uncomfortable, get results. Cheers, guys. Thanks, hey, Thanks. Thanks for joining me. Let's keep the conversation going. You can find more episodes and a link to join our online community over at salesteamrescue.com. If you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe and give the show a review to help us reach more sales leaders like you. If you'd like our support in creating your own high-performance sales team, book a call with us at salesteamrescue.com.